Well, again, welcome. Thank you for being here. This is exciting to be back in person as um, last year we had to be virtual. And uh, I know many people online are watching because uh, they're not able to be here for a number of reasons. If it's because you're ill, we pray for you. We're with you. Um, because you're traveling, we're praying for Journey Mercies. Um, so the Sedaris family is all over this city, all over this region, and, and all over the country, actually, this time of year. So I hope if you're watching online or if you're here, just that you feel that sense of home, that sense of family. If you're new with us, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, we won't have a service Sunday, this Sunday, the 26th, but we'll be back together again on January 2nd. So we'd love to meet you if this is your first time with us. Um, Merry Christmas. I'm going to spend just about 10 minutes here sharing uh, my own story um, about this Christmas, not my personal story like Ty shared, but uh, something that God's brought to my heart this year when thinking about Christmas. I've just been thinking about it a lot this year, more, more, than, more than ever, um, but the thing I've been thinking about is that time is a terrible dance partner. It's always stepping on your toes, right? Time is a terrible dance partner. Now, maybe that's because uh, if you're like me, you feel like the pandemic's stolen a couple years from you. You're like, what, like, what happened? It's just messed with my sense of time. And, and I'm like, when did that last happen? Or when were we last year gathering on Christmas? Like, like, it just has stepped on my toes. And so I feel it. I feel um, some angst about the time lost, about where we should be. This is our seventh Christmas as a church. Seven is God's number, so it's always a good number. But where did six go? And it feels just time is a terrible dance partner. Um, the other thing I've been noticing this year is you, you've probably seen my two boys. They're the loudest. Um, uh, one is six, and this year more than ever, he really understands uh, that Christmas is coming, it's soon. My three-year-old Owen, he doesn't understand. He asks, where is Christmas? And I'm not sure, is he like a philosopher? Like, is he really asking the question the right way? Like, where is Christmas? Like, he might actually be on top of it. But Grayson knows that it's coming, right, Grayson? Like, you feel that it's coming, the anticipation. I was thinking about, as a kid, how long that season was between Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? Like when you're a kid, it feels so long, like it's never coming. Like your idea of time is so different than you grow up and you're like, that went pretty fast. I can't believe tomorrow is Christmas. So what's going on? This time changes as you grow and age and have perspective. So I've just been thinking a lot about time. Now Christmas is, and Advent is the preparation for a coming because Jesus first came, we celebrate that at Christmas, and then we also anticipate and look forward to another time in which Jesus will come again. That's why we're here gathering. We're celebrating that God came in the person of Jesus, and we're celebrating that he said and promised he'll come again. So we're anticipating. But have you ever wondered, have you ever thought this thought? I know I have. Well, if he was coming back, don't you think he probably already would have come, right? It's been 2,000 years. Like, where is he? Like, all this anticipating, is he really coming back? I don't think so. If he was going to come, he would have come. It's a reasonable question. How do we answer that? Well, God teaches us through the words written down for us by the Apostle Peter. God teaches us that to him... 
A thousand years is a day. Why would he tell us that? Because he knows that we might think if he were going to come, he'd already come. So it's been two days. <laughs> it's been two days to God. I don't know. I have no idea how many days. I'm just telling you. But to God, it's been two days. But just like Grayson anticipating how many days could it possibly be, to God, he looks at us the same way. It's just been two. To us, it feels forever. So time is something that we think we understand, but perhaps we don't. In Malachi chapter 2, verses 17 to 3, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, um, this is the last book of the Old Testament, which was all the writings that God gave through the prophets for his people Israel. And guess what? After the writing of this, there was 400 years of silence. So I'm going to read you this verse that was in Malachi chapter 2. I think we've got it. We throw it up here on the screen. The prophet says this, You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you ask, how have we wearied him? Well, the prophet says, when you say, everyone who does what is evil is good in the Lord's sight, and he is delighted with them, or else where is God, the God of justice? See, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord will, uh, you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. And then for 400 years, they waited. And then all of a sudden, just a few months before Jesus was born, his cousin was born, named John, became known as John the Baptizer. And when John was grown, he went through the wilderness. We talked about this last week. And he began to baptize people. And what did he say? Turn from your evil ways. I'm preparing, I'm clearing the way for the coming of the Lord. And so 400 years of silence was now broken. Those people too must have wondered, surely we're misunderstanding this promise. And then it happened. And John came clearing the way. And the prophecy came into the world. So whose view of time is right? Are we seeing this correct? Sometimes I think, I was sitting at lunch today, uh, this week with a friend, and uh, the university bridge was opening and closing. And I was watching it, and I was just thinking of the peop- at the people waiting for this bridge. Some may have turned around when they saw it go up. Is this bridge even moving? But slowly, the hands of the bridge begin to close in. And it ain't fast. It's slow. And I think this is how God comes into the world. Eventually, that bridge connected. Eventually, heaven will come to earth. It might drive us crazy to wait. We might be tempted to turn around and find another route on our own. But there's only one route. It's God's route. His plan. And though it's slow, it will connect eventually. Let me read for you one other passage in Galatians chapter 4, thinking about this idea of time. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. Galatians, actually chapter 3, verse 27. We'll have it up here for you. For those of you who were baptized into Christ, you have been clothed with Christ Christ. 
There is no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, no male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel. You too are a member of God's family, is what he is saying. Heirs, according to the promise. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees, look at this, until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, which is like saying, Daddy, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Who's an heir? Men, women, Greeks, Jews, Romans, Norwegians, Asians, Europeans, Africans, all can be heirs of the promise. All can be like a son, a firstborn son, that gets the inheritance of the father. And what is God's? Everything. What a promise. In the ESV, verse 4 says this. It's translated, I like it a little bit better. When the fullness of time had come. What? You may ask, why did Jesus come when he did? Because the fullness of time had come. God, who is outside of time and sees all things, the beginning and the end, said, this is the moment where I'll send my son. When the fullness of time had come. And he'll send Jesus again when the fullness of time has come. So you may be asking, when will that be? When will it happen? Well, it's already happened. For those of us who have accepted Jesus... As Lord and Savior. That's what the passage says. You are already sons, though you wait to receive your full inheritance. You are already transferred from slave to child. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It could happen for you today. You could have walked into this room as a slave to the world, to the elements of the world, to the darkness of the world, to the evil of the world, to the destruction of the world, to the decay of the world. You could have walked in completely underneath its yoke. And you could walk out today, a son, an heir to the inheritance of all that is God's. By simply putting your trust in Jesus, acknowledging that he is the son of God. And clothing yourself in him, his righteousness becomes your righteousness. You now can have new life with God. It's unbelievable. To be removed from the slavery that is the sin and brokenness of this world. And I'll add one more thing. The tyranny of time itself. When you're a slave before you're a son, your clock is ticking. And the tyranny of time clicks away. When you step into the shoes of Jesus, you put on Christ. You now step into the Father's view of time. The eternal Father. The timeless one. And so that tyranny 
that bondage, that yoke, when you feel like two years wasted during a pandemic, now you feel free. Because you know that your time is unlimited. That you truly have started eternal life now when you accept the invitation to become his son. You see that? The tyranny of time. My kids at Christmas, they feel the tyranny of time. When is it coming? When is it coming? You may feel it as you wait for this pandemic to end. You may feel it as you wait, like Ty, for a loved one to come back into your life. You feel that tyranny of time. But when I'm at my best, I realize that I'm not like my kids waiting for Christmas Day. I'm not my worst self over the last two years saying, woe is me. Why have I lost these days, these weeks, these months? I am instead like Jesus. Jesus, whose view of time is so different than ours. I just challenge you, whether you've read the biographies of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, known as the four Gospels. They're biographies of Jesus. If you've never read those, read those. If you've even read them, read them again. And read them with an eye to see how Jesus interacts with time. It's, it's fascinating. It's so fascinating to me. In one sense, he's so urgent he feels like there's something that needs to be done, something that must be accomplished, something that if he doesn't do, it won't get done. And so he has an urgency. There's important work to do. But then on the other hand, he's filled with peace. He never feels rushed. He never feels forced. He is never enslaved to his schedule. So what is that? It's one of many what I call gospel paradoxes. The gospel paradoxes start with the cross, that God died and rose again. What? The paradox of new life. Here's another paradox. Peaceful urgency. Jesus had it. Read the Gospels. See if you can see it. Peaceful urgency. Peaceful urgency. It's a great story of Jesus and uh, a ruler named uh, Jairus and his daughter's dying and Jesus. They come to Jesus. They come help our daughter. She's dying. Come quick. It's soon. Jesus says, I'm on my way, and he's urgent. He's walking through the crowds, and they're pressing in on him because they know that he can heal. And many people are pressing in on him, and then all of a sudden he feels, whoo, power go out of him. He said, who touched me? And a woman who had been bleeding for years looks at him, and he stops, and he has a peaceful conversation with her. He knows that something has happened. Because of her faith in him, she is healed. And he takes his time. And because he takes his time, he does not reach Jairus' daughter before she dies. She dies. And Jesus walks into the room and they say, it's too late. And Jesus says, it's not too late. He says, everybody out except for the mother and the father. And he walks up to the daughter and he says, daughter, stand up. She stands up. You see, Jesus is always right on time. He's always right on time. He was always right on time. He is always right on time. He will be right on time. How can he live with this peaceful urgency? Because he knows the Father. He knows the Father's power. He knows that the Father is the Father of life. And so even if death enters your story, Jesus knows that I can bring you back from the dead. He's always right on time. That's why he has peaceful urgency. Doesn't mean he sits around. Doesn't mean he quits his job and waits. Don't quit your job and wait for Jesus to come. Work. He has work for you to do, but do it with great peace because you know the Father has the power to do whatever he needs to do to fulfill your story. 
Jesus is always right on time. Jesus will be right on time. How long will it be? I have no idea. When will it happen? I can't tell you. Live your life with peaceful urgency, and Jesus will be right on time.